Programming Throwdown, episode 2020 Holiday Edition. Take it away, Jason. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Um, it's uh, It's been a wild year. We'll definitely, you know, recap a lot of the year. We'll answer questions for... Um, yeah, that came in from, from, from y'all and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. How are you feeling, Patrick? I feel best described as all those memes of people making things that say 2020, I survived. <laughs> I survived 2020. But then people pointing out correctly that they're still at the time of this recording, uh, still like, a you know, 10, 15 days left. So that might be a bit premature. Yeah. You never know. Um, yeah, the, uh. Yeah, the the uh, the virus thing just really exploded in California. So so neither of us are actually in California right now, um, but uh, but but you know talking to people who are there, it's uh, it's pretty intense. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, my best wishes go out to everyone affected by this. I think it's easy. Uh, you know, personally, I've been fairly lucky to have avoided any major. Um, health consequences in my immediate family or extended family, but uh, that's not true for a lot of people. And I think it's easy sometimes uh, for some people who haven't been affected to to kind of uh, shortchange how serious this has all been for people who have been affected by losing jobs, losing family members. I mean, for those people, it's uh, it's been even worse of a ride. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. It's been totally wild. Yeah, I think one of the things that that is pretty shocking is. Um, is is the the they're calling it like the k-shaped curve but basically it's just completely bifurcated like some people um you know are actually you know kind of benefiting i mean not on purpose but some people are just benefiting from from the virus and just the changes that it had on the whole like social environment and uh and other people are really devastated and it's it's kind of a really weird position to to situation to see so, I mean, yeah, trying to pivot it into to technology. I mean, this has been a, a as, you know, having paid dues to the you know seriousness of it. I mean, for a lot of tech companies, e-commerce, digital stuff, I mean, it's coming into its own. Like people are figuring out video conferencing and a lot of the problems we discussed that in a couple episodes, you know, I think online stores are getting credit as being, you know, equivalent to shopping in, in person that, you know, we're in the holiday season now and I haven't gone and shopped in in a store for holiday gifts. I, you know, I've been trending that way, but now this year it's a you know serious thing. It's like, why would I not just order everything from a website? That sounds great. Yeah, it's so true. And and uh, yeah, we I mentioned this on a past episode, but you know, the big thing for me was clothes. Um, you know, I've always felt like, oh, I should get you know clothes in person and get the right you know fit and things like that. And uh, and now it's just it's just like yeah, just because of necessity, you know, we started getting them online. And then we kind of realized that like, oh, actually I'm not really as picky as I thought I was. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm really probably just going to buy clothes online, you know, uh, forever now. And so that's a huge change. Yeah. I mean, this, this year, um, you know, from a, from a job stint has been, you know, thankful that I haven't, um, you know, had any major changes to my uh, role or position or anything, but, you know, being remote since March, um, has been has been completely crazy that before, you know, at most maybe it'd be like a day or two if you were, you know, had something or under the weather or whatever. But now, you know, it's just like a full-time thing being, being in the house and uh, doing online meetings and doing coding. And I think uh, not everyone has, you know, reacted the same way. For me personally, I, I've actually, you know, kind of, I guess I, it's been my jam. Like, I don't go up the house for a while. You know, I have to be conscious to make sure to continue exercise and stuff. Um, but being able to, to do my work remotely has actually been a pretty cool opportunity for something that uh, otherwise wouldn't have been afforded. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I think that, that um, I was really worried about the communication part of it, as you would expect. You know, I was worried that, that we basically wouldn't... Um, you know, have those times to sync together as a team and we'd lose some of that synergy, but actually worked out really, really well. Um, you know, we, uh, we block certain times for, for, you know, like a social time and, and, um, 
And so, you know, a lot of it is done over VC. I think the, the biggest challenge is, is, you know, people interrupting each other because of that delay. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're starting to find good ways to solve that as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's been, it, the, the freedom of it has been awesome. And being able to sort of like do your laundry while you work and just a lot <laughs> of the things you would imagine are really useful. They actually are. I mean, it saves so much time in your day. I think also um, communication has been, I don't like, maybe that word is overused, but more conscientious. Like I think people, or at least I do personally try to take more care because you can't do the in-person, you know, facial expression stuff as well over video, I feel. So like when I do reviews or emails or even just, you know, instant messaging people that I, you know, take care to make sure to uh, say more of what I'm thinking or how I'm dealing or how I'm planning something or approaching things. And in some ways, I think that's helped uh, me organize my thought patterns a little bit better by having to be more specific rather than just, hey, so-and-so come over here or let's go grab a room or let's go get, you know, a snack or something, right? Like trying to be more um, thoughtful about, hey, I'm going to engage this person uh, with that topic and, you know, bring in this other, you know what I mean? Like, I I think those things have been actually slightly better because you're more deliberate about including people than just whoever happens to be around when you have a thought. Yeah, totally agree. And and the other thing is, you know, anything now is kind of, you're always kind of asking someone's permission because it's a VC. So it's just, it's a lot more deliberate. And so um, it kind of gives people the opportunity to kind of schedule when they want to have mm. those chats. Whereas when it's in person, if someone walks up to you and says, hey, do you have a minute? You're just really compelled to say yes, even if you really <laughs> don't have a minute. But if someone messages you, there's sort of this plausible deniability, like maybe the person wasn't at their phone or whatever. And so, as you said, it allows people time to like concentrate before before a discussion. Yeah, I feel the initially there was this like, oh no, how am I going to get my questions answered? But I think it turns out actually like waiting around for an answer. Sometimes you fix it yourself, or sometimes you do something else. And I, I think it turns out you just don't need as fast of answers as we were maybe used to getting in the office. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, yeah, well, I, I think, or do you think you're going to stay remote for, for the foreseeable future? We'll see. I mean, I think it's going to vary as companies uh, figure out their plans and, and work. I think for sure, I think a lot of, you know, we're both in, in programming, but and in companies which are technology focused. So I think maybe our view is a little skewed. But I think a lot of programmers work in industries which aren't completely only a tech company, right? So there's a lot of programming jobs for, uh, you know, whatever you want to think like refrigerator manufacturers or car manufacturers or, you know, things which are more mixed uh, or even people making furniture, I guess, right, need various kinds of programming. So I think a lot of, uh, you know, jobs are going to have adopted technology to deal with this that they wouldn't have otherwise. And I'm curious to see the impact that's going to have on the like, who stays remote and who stays remote and who, you know, goes back to the office or needs to be in the office because, Real estate's pretty expensive in a lot of places of the country. And I think even with tech companies, you already start to see uh, news headlines about various companies thinking forward to what's going to happen because at least for the, the tech companies in the Bay Area um, of San Francisco and California, that I think what you're seeing is that um, a lot of them are going to be away from the office for at least you know, 14, 16, 18 months um, before they're going to sort of staff back up. And that's a long time to have, uh, have people be remote and learn how to deal with that. And then just suddenly bring them all back to the office. Yeah, actually, um, um, I was thinking about this, the liability dimension here is like really, really interesting. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you ask people to come back, well, there's, there's so many different angles to this. I mean, one is, you know, can employers force people to be vaccinated to come to work? So that's a whole thing that's oh, going man. out right now. This is going to get, uh, we're going to be careful here. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to get into the ethical issues there, but, 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 but the, but then there's like, okay, assuming that doesn't happen or assuming they've taken an employer for which, you know, they don't have that mandate. Well, then if anybody, um, uh, you know, if they set a line and say, okay, it's, you know, I don't know, April and everyone has to come back. And even one person, um, you know, gets, gets, gets extremely sick um, because they were kind of, you know, mandated to come back. Um, that's a real, real problem. 
Um, you, you know, and, and even if like legally, you know, there's, they're in the right, I think it, 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 uh, in the court of popular opinion, I mean, it's going to become a real issue. And so to your point, I think what's going to happen is, um, I think that, that for people who are asked to go remote, um, you know, I think Mike, I think it was Twitter who initially did this. They said, anyone who is asked to go remote, um, can come back basically at will, uh, you know, indefinitely. And and I think that's going to become the policy. I would be I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of these companies say, you know, look, if you are interviewing now, you know, we're going to ask you to come in. You know, we, we get to set the rules. But for the people who we ask to go remote, um, you know, we're not going to mandate for them to come back because otherwise, I think it 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 opens up this whole can of worms. I think this is something we'll definitely be revisiting on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So, so actually, yeah, well, well, that's my prediction. So, you know, we always do our predictions. I'll just say mine right away. My prediction for 2021 is that, and you know, obviously it's not everyone, but, but the big companies, um, you know, the FANG, um, and, and, and the, you know, the other sort of like the big players, Oracle and those Cisco, um, that they're not going to have like a hard mandate to come back. There'll be strong encouragement, but that there won't be any mandate. That's my prediction. Are we doing predictions now? I'll do mine. Yeah, go for it. What's so, your prediction? So my prediction is hearkening back to a one I made a long time ago, but I'll, I'll make it again. I think this year you're going to hear a ton of news about um, basically the new space race. I think there's going to be, this is not really a programming wow. thing, sorry. But I yeah, think no, it's great. I think Blue Origin is very close. You've got um, the Boeing activities with, what is that? I guess Orion, SpaceX. The man, I was so stoked. I watched the Starship launch from SpaceX. It was like so close. It was crazy. Watched it with my kids, and I was just thinking, like, I think one day, and I took a video of them watching the video. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> that's also weird. But you know, I, I just like I think one day it'll be like look back and be like, this is the start of when you know things started to change. And even just looking, at, you know, I'm not like making picks about which company will win or lose because I think there's only been a few years. So I think in the scale of these kinds of things, a decade even isn't. Uh, that long of a time. And so I think, you know, we're going to see this as like one of the areas where it's an inflection point and the amount of people and things and objects and technology going to space in a given year is going to start to be, uh, I, I hate it, going to become exponential. You start to see these statistics, like if some of these quotas keep ramping up, you're going to have more weight launched into space in a year than all of previous mankind. Uh, well, it's a short wow. thing, I guess. But, you know, SpaceX is on track. I think they something like they are, I think I want to say like in the first half of the year, almost booked out like one launch, one paid launch a week in the first half of 2021 or something. So oh, is seeing, that, I was going to ask you, what's the economic value? It's, it's tourists who want to do space, like so ground trip space travel. I think all of it, right? So you see the stuff like the Starlink satellite internet has, is could be game changing, right? If you can live wherever. And especially with this couple with the coronavirus stuff, the COVID stuff, right? If you could suddenly be in a cabin and have high speed, low latency internet via satellite for a reasonable price, think of like what that changes to the dynamics of like where people want to live and work. Um, How is that connected to the, to the space race? Like, can't they already do that? So I I know nothing about that. So I think it's, you know, if you launch a satellite and it's, you know, it's like per pound. So if, if you can drop the price per pound by an order of magnitude, you can afford to put up a lot more satellites and you need a dense coverage of satellites. And then also because you spent less making them and getting them into space, if they only last, you know, five, six, seven years, which is true for objects in very low earth orbit, then you can, that's a, that's a economically feasible thing to do. If you had to pay, 10 times the amount you need your satellite to either deliver more economic value or be up for longer. And so that just eliminates parts of the design space. So SpaceX to send up someone else's satellite in half the capacity and then 50 of their Starlink satellites and the other half of the capacity of the, you know, wait, they can basically for a very cheap amount, get all those satellites up. Um, And then they don't need them to stay up that long before they are a net positive uh, return on their capital. Oh, I see. But it's not wow, just SpaceX and Starlink. I mean, there are other companies waiting in the wings to do the same thing. So as soon as there's cheap, reliable, frequent, you know, flights to space, it becomes kind of like commercial business travel, right? That like 
suddenly there were people at, at my job and especially from my previous job who would just fly two, three times a week to various places rather than getting on a phone and calling someone. Uh, and that was because it was considerably cheap to be able to do that. And if space becomes the same thing, I don't think it would become like a uh, cost of a, a flight, but um, an airplane flight. But if it becomes cheap like that, all of a sudden, what is reasonable to put in space, including humans for entertainment value, um, becomes way more open and possible. That makes sense. So like the the Russian space station, right? Things the ISS, right? Um, so that is in orbit around the Earth. Is that does that need a lot of maintenance? I mean, I have to admit, I'm totally, you know, a dummy on this. But yeah, like, completely could, off that. Could you have, that happen, could you have like clubs in space where yes. people go, it's been like two days, like, or like maybe not a club, like a resort, resort in space? I mean, I think so, right? So the early ones like uh, Virgin Galactic, um, and I, I think to some extent the Blue Origin current rocket would be, you know, giving people four or five, six minutes of weightlessness, you won't actually reach orbit. So they're a little bit of a different thing. And that's what we'll see sort of first from them. But then once you get more powerful things like uh, the Starship from SpaceX, then yeah, I mean, I think you could start to have um, places in space for people to go to and, and sort of hang out for a day or a week, you know, like a very expensive resort, I guess. Although for a while, it's still going to be very uncomfortable because getting large objects up is still going to be pretty hard. Um, you can get heavy objects up, but getting really big objects up is oh uh, yeah, that makes sense. It is still going to be hard, and so um, I think you will start to see some of that. That might be a little further out, but I think first, just being able to you know get satellites up for cheaper, I think, is going to be very interesting. And then longer term, you start to like you say, start to do more colonization of orbit or the moon or even Mars, but also about like asteroid mining and stuff, right? Like a single selectively picked asteroid has like more precious metals than is like on the entire earth. And so you can completely change things which are too expensive now, like gold. If you find one of these asteroids, people are, are supposing you might be able to like have more gold, like 10 times more gold than exists on the whole planet right now. So that changes what you could use gold for because suddenly it's not an expensive thing. Wow. I wonder if you if you were going to mine an asteroid and it's it's not that far away. I wonder if you would send chunks of it into the Earth, <laughs> you know, versus just having to carry it all I don't back. Know. Right? I think there's lots of ideas here. I think a lot of it will depend on what and how safely and easily and how big of things you can send into orbit or not. Wow, that's wild. Okay, so that's a pretty bold prediction. So you're saying so? So the prediction is basically that there a space race. There's basically going to be a lot more competition in the space arena and a lot more like. If marketing I had to make you a specific one, I'd say you're going to see uh, the first regularly scheduled uh, tourist launches by the end of 2021. So I think, yeah, that sounds awesome. I don't know. Uh, my, I should look my, at their schedules first. They probably publish their schedules, so I could probably cheat. <laughs> yeah, you, you look. It's like oh. Well, there goes that bet. <laughs> um, yeah, my 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 uh, prediction last year for this year was that um, I believe it was that I have to double check, but I think it was that education, or maybe that was the, we had a long term and a short term bet. Um, I think the long term bet for me was that education was going to change, where instead of getting scholarship, instead of instead of taking out loans, you would get sponsored, mm. um, and so basically the loans basically the loans would become privatized. That was the I've seen some of that. I haven't seen it become regular yet, but I've seen people talking a lot about it. Yeah, I think the the inflection point there, the tipping point there, is is the um, bail, is the government bailout. So if the government mm. bails out the student debt, well, then then all the private investors who would be investing in students will 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 just punch out because um, because the government will just give the the will just bail out everyone's debt. They're not going to be selective or like economic about it hmm. um but if they don't bail out the student debt then yeah I, I think that will accelerate cool Do you remember your uh, from last i was year? trying to look and because i was wondering the same thing and i could not find it <laughs> so okay i have no idea what my mind was it's probably wrong or too early we'll um, see we'll see so we'll jump into questions so um we could just go straight down the line here um so, so Senor Laser uh, on on Discord asks, uh, "Have we done unit testing in college?" 
Um, I could just say a very quick no. <laughs> I mean, I wish uh, it probably would have helped, uh, you know, my, my software development skills accelerate faster, but unit testing was something I learned later. What about you? The same. I will say that yeah. I think unit testing, t- to be honest, like writing a unit test isn't that, oh, this sounds crazy. Like the idea of what, like writing a unit test, or whatever, isn't that big a deal. The biggest thing is getting people to agree to commit to architecting your software in a way that it can be meaningfully unit tested. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's a topic that might be for at least the kind of classes and stuff I had in college. I don't think even if someone had tried to make the point, it would have stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Now that you, you mentioned it, I think, you know, I did take a software architecture class in college and I'm pretty sure they covered this, but as you said, like without any context, without a, a bigger system, it just sounds, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, oh, I, I did this homework assignment. It's like a one file program with two functions. Why would I unit test this? Right. And so, and so it only makes sense when you start introducing things like real time clocks and very large, complicated, you know, architectures that then you realize like how important it is and also how hard it is. It is hard. And I think as a junior person coming in on a team, sometimes even if school taught you the importance of it and, and kind of how to do it, you wouldn't have the right political capital and angling and experience to understand the right application of it, like the right amount. I'm not a big believer in you have to have 100% line coverage, right? Like I, yeah, I, don't, totally. I think some stuff's just not worth unit testing or you, you, know, you don't have infinite money to spend on it. So you, you should focus your things. Now, if you had infinite money, sure. But, um, or infinite time, I should say, but time is money. Oh, yep, it's not yep. a topic. Um, for unit testing, I think it's one of those things you, you need to be very specific in how and what you unit test um, if you're not going to be able to do full testing, which most of the time, it's not the right answer to do full testing. And I think that's something that's a learned skill over time and specific to an organization and a project, what layer in the stack you are, um, how you relate to the teams around you, all of that kind of stuff. Yep, totally agree. I second that 100%. All right, I'll ask the next question. So this one's from Canon, and it's, how do you know which path of computer science to go down? Data scientists, computer engineering, yeah, fill in the blank here. So I, I guess the trend is to answer your own question first. So um, I asked this one. I'll say that man, you don't know. I don't think there's a knowing, um, or at least in my opinion. I think you try to find the one that interests you the most at the time while being open to the idea that you might pick wrong. Um, so some of it is depending on your school schedule availability, how it meshes with um, pro- you know, classes you're interested in or minors that you need to do. Um, and so I think don't get too hung up on it. As someone who does hiring, um, I don't care too much, to be honest. And, and I can't say that's true for everyone. Yep. But for me, I kind of don't care. Like I'm just looking to see if you have a vaguely applicable, if it says electrical engineer, computer science, computer architect, I'm basically treating all those as the same, um, especially for undergraduate you know, first job um, kind of hires. And so it, it, it matters that you're passionate and that you got enough exposure to projects to be able to intelligently talk about the uh, sort of intricacies of programming and debugging and that kind of thing. Um, if you're going to continue, I'll let Jason talk about, you know, past undergraduate. Um, I think it might matter more. But I think early on, I think it matters that you do something that you find really interesting and it has classes that you think you're going to be passionate and apply yourself to so that you're going to be involved in the projects and get good grades and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then I think after you join, you still, you know, your first job, you still shouldn't settle down. You should try a few different things to see what you really like before settling down on one thing because it'll also give you breadth and confidence in, in what you chose. So uh, what do you think, Jason? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, just some more, like, uh, some, just to riff on that, I think, um, um, yeah, I remember being in, in, you know, I guess senior year of high school and, and really kind of stressing about this choice. And there was computer scientist, there was computer engineer, there was electrical engineer. And, um, and yeah, Patrick's exactly right. I mean, don't stress too much about this. I think that, um, um, you know, your career is going to take a really, really long time. And and think about all the things that you've learned. Let's say you're a senior in high school. Think about everything you've learned in those four years from, you know, you started 
with maybe you're in algebra one or something in freshman year or pre-algebra or whatever it is. And then now you've taken, you know, maybe you've taken pre-calc, you know, AP calc. And so you've learned all that stuff in four years. And that's just four years, right? You're probably going to be working for 40 years, right? That's, that's an order of magnitude more. And uh, um, and so, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I would look at the courses and just say, okay, which of these sort of curriculum, uh, which of these curricula do I, you know, prefer? And, um, and kind of go from there. But yeah, I mean, you know, a good employer will, will, you know, treat a lot of these as, as sort of equivalent. Um, yeah, actually, so you also asked about, yeah, the, once you get to the higher level, then, then you really need to have something, you know, very specific you're passionate about. So, um, so in my case, you know, I really liked, um, um, you know, this idea of like a superhuman, you know, board game player. And so that was something that was, was really appealing to me. And, um, you know, there was chess, right? Where there was deep blue at chess, but, but deep blue was sort of a search thing. It didn't really have a good representation of chess. It could just, you know, search really well. Um, you know, and by a good representation, I mean something where you can kind of tessellate, like you could take one experience and translate it to a slightly different experience, right? So Deep Blue didn't really do a whole lot of that. And if it did, it was it was human beings going in and writing rules. Um, and so that that was just super interesting to me, and I was willing to spend a lot of years to try and make progress there. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to do a, something like a PhD if you don't have a specific goal. Um, of course, you have time to, to find that goal, but, um, but ideally, you, you, you know, say you do a bachelor's, you do a master's, hopefully by the end of the master's, you have some really interesting question that nobody has ever answered before or that hasn't been, you know, that, that has dimensions to it that haven't been explored. Um, you know, we, we know there's always been sort of people who get into the PhD program just because they really enjoy school, but then it's very hard to finish without having that, you know, kind of specific answer. So that's where I think it can kind of pivot to where to to where you kind of have to have some focus, but but yeah, for for undergrad and even for masters, yeah, I think looking at the curriculum and don't worry about you know getting it wrong. You can switch, or you could even just you know finish out the degree and and get a job where you're going to be surrounded by people with the other degree, and it won't be an issue. Um, okay, so so Chef asks, which programming language should I pick to land a programming job? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have a, a, a very specific take on this. Patrick will probably this is one where we'll probably have a different take. Um, but you know, my take on it is is um, I think that you know, again, if, if you so landing the job is is one thing, but then you know, you have to work that job, right? And ideally you have to work that job, let's say a minimum of two and a half years. So that's what, 6,000 hours, right? And it's very hard to do 6,000 hours of something that you hate, right? Um, so, so you really got to look at what are the kind of things you want to build um, and then say, okay, the people who are building these things, what are they using? So for example, if you wanted to make a video game, well, like a lot of people are using Unity. It seems seems like a really powerful engine for that, right? And so a lot of those people are using C Sharp, right? And so that can kind of help guide your decision, but it's coming at it from kind of a different angle. What's uh, what's your take on that? So, so I guess just to wrap it up, I think yeah, try to find you know what you want to build, and then the language will usually kind of fall out from there. That, that's my take on it. I mean, I think so. I guess um, uh, there's two things. There's like uh, generally speaking and then like in my current personal experience. So I will say that I, I guess J as Jason's saying is kind of true. If there's a, if you have your eye on a certain kind of job, you might want to tailor your programming language to that kind of job. Um, so if you want to work in, you know, machine learning, uh, then I, I mean, Jason could probably speak to that. I probably wouldn't recommend learning low level C and C++. Probably not a great fit. Yep. Um, if you want to do embedded programming um, or even video game programming, for the most part, I would probably not recommend something like Python. I'd probably recommend, you know, 
C++ or, or even, I guess if you're going to use Unity, you have more flexibility like C Sharp or something. It's not that you yep. can't do them in other ones, but it's not about what you can or can't do for a project. It's, you know, making yourself have the best chance of getting hired. Um, you may be a, a really good fit or capable of doing a job and not land that job because either there was somebody else already lined up, the job falls through. Um, I, I don't really see uh, hiring isn't a perfect thing. It doesn't, the perfect people don't get the job every time. Sometimes the interviewer is having a bad day. So what you're trying to do is increase your, uh, you know, sort of chances of getting, getting a job. And for that, and like, if you're just saying, look, I want to make sure I get a job, you know, I think there are a few languages you want to choose from, um, and it varies by field. But if you're going to do web type programming, which isn't uh, Jason and my specialty, then for sure you want to know at least some amount of JavaScript, right? You're going to need to know that you're going to know how to build web pages. If you want to do, you know, applications programming on, you know, computers, you're probably going to want to do either like C++ or maybe Java or maybe something like C Sharp um, or newer. If you want to do like, you know, Android or iOS programming, something that's more tailored to, to those. So, um, you know, something like Swift on iOS or, um, you know, I don't even Android. I guess Kotlin. Kotlin is it? I don't know how to actually say it, but <laughs> as I was going to say, which is, a, you know, kind of related to, to Java. So, I think those are the kind of things, but more importantly, you'd want to be building, the more specific you are and what job you want, you'd want to have projects where you're actually building those things. And those will somewhat dictate your language. So if you're going to be trying to get a job in Android development, you're going to have one, you're going to want to have built Android apps. Um, and so I think, you know, languages like Python, Java, C++, C Sharp, um, you know, the languages are sort of, you know, JavaScript, most interviewers are going to be able to read those languages. And so you're not going to have a problem um, unless you have a very highly specific kind of interview. And, you know, without getting off into it completely, I mean, there's different styles of interviewing that take place at different companies. Um, a lot of the tech companies currently do a more uh, data structure algorithm heavy interview. And so as long as if you're programming in a language that the interviewer knows or can read, then you're sort of good to go. Um, and they're looking for more skills. But that's not always true. If you're looking to be productive day one at a smaller shop or a startup or something, then your programming language choice matters to be more closely matched to what that shop does, you know, especially uh, if the shop is doing something different than uh, sort of the beaten path. So if there's some place you really want a job at that does Haskell, you're going to have to know how to do Haskell. Yep, um, yep. But that, I, I would say that's not the commonplace. Most of the big tech companies, I'll say, uh, any major language is probably acceptable. Um, and if not, you know, this is hard to say. So if your goal is to just get a job... I guess uh, I would say probably JavaScript, Python, Java, C++. Um, yeah, totally agree. If you're, if you're wanting to be passionate and build projects and get hired that way, then I would say this question is probably uh, missing the boat there. Um, it's not about what programming language you learn, but about what you've built. Yeah, totally makes sense. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, just, just bootstrapping off that, you know, if, if someone you know, interviews for like a machine learning engineer role and they've never coded in Python, that could be kind of a red flag. You know, it's like, um, it's possible, but it just seems, it just seems kind of odd, right? Um, so, so even if, um, you know, Unity will let you write code in, in JavaScript or something, you know, knowing sort of the core language that's the most common for whatever kind of field you're wanting to get into is, is probably important. So, so maybe, you know, maybe the answer is really just to do both, right? I mean, like for the type of job you want, you know, learn the most common language for that job. So if it's web, learn JavaScript, right? Um, but then at the same time, you know, try to also build things. And those things that you want to build, you know, might be easier to build in, in C++. And so maybe you have to learn two languages. Um, and that kind of gets segues nice into our next question <laughs> from Matt, which is, what is the fastest way to learn a new programming language? Um, I, I think of, you know, my, my view of it is to just find something to build in that language. Um, 
Yeah, I think that. So, well, actually, there's sort of a meta question here, which is like, what does it mean to know a language? Um, or, you know, and and I think the only way you really know if you've learned a language is that you can build something with it. Um, I think there's a lot of um, sort of meta, you know, it's beyond just writing the syntax and all of that, but there's kind of a, different languages have sort of a different, let's say like feel to them, right? Like if you're writing, you know, JavaScript, and this has kind of changed nowadays because there's the wait async pattern in, in JavaScript six, but, um, you know, traditionally JavaScript would just have a lot of callbacks. Cause like every function you would pass in another function, maybe even two functions. The second one would, would, would fire if, if something failed. And so you have to structure your code a certain way you know, for example, that failure callback, you might have one failure function globally, and you're just passing that to every function you call. And, and, um, and so sort of structuring your code in a way to handle like all of those callbacks, um, you know, that goes beyond just being able to have code that compiles, right? And so you won't know that if you um, just learn the language through like a tutorial that teaches you the syntax. And so I guess the fastest way to learn the language is the, is also the way to know you've learned it, which is to just build things, right? Yeah, I, I think you have a really good point there. I, I always call that, I don't know if it's completely correct, writing idiomatic code. So you'll hear it referred to in Python as writing Pythonic yep. code, right? Or uh, maybe that's the one that has the best, um, or at least the one I know, name for it. Yep. But, you know, as a C++ programmer, I can always tell when someone comes from Java or from C background and they've learned the syntax and then they think they know. And then it's like, well, what you're writing is technically correct and does work, which is sort of what, <laughs> what one of Jason's bars was. But for me, as a person with more years, I would say that, you know, this isn't code that it would have, I would point out various reasons why it's not the way we do it. Um, but to be honest, the same is true for people who study C++ in school. And then they come to the job, for instance, and they use like exceptions, they throw exceptions. And in C++, we have a you know, variety of lessons learned as to why we've chosen not to throw exceptions normally in our code. And that's something that until we show them, they wouldn't know about those reasons. And and maybe they agree or disagree, but the, all that subtlety, right, is something Wait, that- I got to ask, what, what do you do if you don't throw exceptions? So normally you require functions, well, it depends, but uh, either you uh, return some sort of error code and you have error handling, or you have a, a kind of separate- a separate mechanism for doing it. But basically for code that can fail, you uh, you can have an optional return type. You can have a return type oh, that's an error code. Yeah. Um, it depends on other choices you've made in the system. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think part of learning the language, as Jason said, is like, and, and we talk about this, and this is true for every language, I think. We, we'll ask people who we interview, you know, hey, like, how would you rate yourself at C++ programming? And they'll say, oh, you know, I'm an eight or nine out of 10. And we're just like, uh, what? Um, and, it's a joke, <laughs> and maybe it's a more of a C++ joke, I guess. But C++ has been around for, uh, I don't know how many decades now, a lot. And there's yeah, many... the 70s, I think. Yeah, so there's many, many corners to the language. And, um, you know, we say people who, you know, are writing the standard library and on the panels for the new proposals for next year's thing, those people probably rate themselves as seven or eight in the language. Um, most of us probably rate ourselves as like four or five. <laughs> um, and so it, it's sort of one of these joking things, but it, it somewhat holds true, which is the higher you rate yourself, the most likely that you just don't know what you're doing yet. Um, and so most yep. people probably start off rating themselves a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eh, two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you, you get somewhere where you start learning that you have more to learn than you thought you did. Um, and you become more self-aware. And so part of learning a language, as Jason points out, is like, look, I can pick almost any language. I won't say any because we've been doing this show a long time. There's a lot of weird languages. Um, but pretty much any language, you can pick up, Google a few things, go on to Stack Overflow and bang out, you know, a simple script or, you know, a Hello World example or even something more complicated. But that's the, between that and writing maintainable, you know, 10, 20, 100,000 line projects right the the gap there is gigantic and i don't think there's a fast way to get to the writing maintainable um many people working on a code base uh code that there, i don't think there's a shortcut there if you're just trying yep. to knock out something for an interview or 
for a simple project or just to get it done, then the fastest way is to be really, really good at one or two languages so that you know many, many concepts in those languages. Uh, and then just figure out why, what's the contrast between the language you know and the language you're trying to learn. Yeah, that's, it's all really good advice. I think, um, um, yeah. So, so then, yeah, kind of, you know, based on what you said, if you, if it's going to take a lot of time to learn kind of the right patterns, then yeah, learning a language maybe isn't, you like picking a certain language maybe is less important. Because even if you pick a language for your first job, unless you're going to dedicate a bunch of years to it without working, which would be which which probably isn't true, then then whatever language you pick, you you won't have all of that experience anyways. So so it's it's maybe uh, more useful to to try and build some cool projects. I would also say another way of thinking about it is like learning a paradigm, and maybe that's too subtle, but like if you wanted to learn functional programming, right? Like there's a way to do that in various languages or at least kinds of approaches. Yeah, that's to a it, great point. Right. Learning how to do scripting, right? If you really want to learn about banging out shell script kind of stuff, like C is not the right language for that. But that's a useful paradigm to know. Um, if you're trying to learn prototyping, GUI, um, I mean maybe even paradigm's not the right word, but like learning those kinds of things, there are tools better and worse suited to it. And how close your preferred tool set is um, dictates how fast you'll be able to do it. But learning new paradigms, once you learn a paradigm one way, it's often pretty easy to switch between languages within the same kind of thing you're programming. Yeah, another angle on this is, you know, if you, if, if let's say you set out to learn a language like JavaScript or C++ or something, if you can find a framework, and this again assumes that you're, you, you already know kind of, you have a project in mind you want to build. If you could find a framework that is very opinionated, that actually is usually really good. Um, so, for example, let's say you want to learn, um, uh, let's say you want to learn C++, and you say, I'm going to use the Google style guide, right? So the Google style guide bans pound defines, right? And so, you know, in the beginning, it might seem kind of frustrating because you might have some idea of a way to use pound defines to like auto generate, you know, 10,000 functions. And then now you can't do that. And so you have to have some way to write an abstraction layer so you could get it done in two functions, right? Well, well, you probably shouldn't have created 10,000 functions, right? And so, and so having that restriction, you know, the restrictions are trying to restrict you from doing things that, that, that historically have been bad. And so, um, and so, yeah, finding sort of these really opinionated frameworks, you know, you might feel like, oh, it's, it's kind of restricting me. And, and every time I try and do something, there's some error or some reason I can't do it. But I think when you're done and, and you kind of can do what you want within those restrictions, you're going to find that you're writing kind of more uh, idiomatic code. So the next question comes from Gunnar. Is HTML a programming language? Okay, next question. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, I, I don't know much about this, but yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I guess it's the hint is in the name. It's a markup language. Um, I mean, I think you can put stuff in an HTML file that is programming, right? You can embed JavaScript in an HTML file. But I don't think HTML, even I, I won't look, but I'm sure if I look it up, I know CSS is Turing complete. I don't think HTML is, but it might be. Um, but I, I don't think the normal way people sanely use HTML is more to describe data, right? So um, yep. this gets, I don't, this will just make the <laughs> podcast drag out. Uh, but this is a way of modeling data and describing data and annotating data, right? A markup language, you're marking up the data. And then you manipulate it with other tools like, you know, CSS or which even, I won't go there, but or JavaScript or this kind of thing, right? Um, so things like JSON, XML, these are closer in my mind to HTML, and those are all file formats or data descriptors, and they're very, very useful. They're very important tools, um, but I would say those are closer than um, than them to being an actual programming language. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, in in absence of JavaScript, I don't think there's any way you can be Turing complete with HTML. So, and to Patrick's point, I mean, yeah, looking at it. You know, from a practical perspective, you know, HTML, uh, you know, Markdown, uh, Google Docs, 
right? I mean, these aren't programming languages. I mean, even if you could show that they're Turing complete, that's not sort of what they're designed for. Um, but I will say that understand, and maybe I don't know why you're asking this question, or if you're just trying to be funny, or if you're trying to learn something, or trying to understand if it counts to say you know HTML, therefore you know a programming language, or add to your notching up a belt. Um, but I, I mean, I think understanding good data design and data modeling and data structures is very, very important. Um, and so whether or not it's a programming language, HTML is a very important thing. Um, and the paradigm that it represents is also a very important part of uh, computer science. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. We actually have a couple of questions that just showed up on the Discord. Oh, um, last minute If you're listening news. live, yeah, go ahead on the questions channel and throw your question on there. And so we'll, we'll go through them and then, and then we can uh, uh, call it a wrap. Um, so, so Leonhard asks, um, how relevant is knowledge in a particular business field versus knowledge of the tech stack? So, so for an example, you know, how important is it to know, uh, let's say, um, web programming versus knowing, you know, uh, next.js or something like that, or, or React or something? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I feel like the tech stack is probably less important. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of inter intertwined, right? Because if you've learned a tech stack, if you've learned, for example, uh, Next.js, then you know something about web programming, right? Um, but in other words, I wouldn't go out of your way to learn you know, Next.js and uh, I think it's called Ember. JS and Angular and React and you know Netlify and and all these things, um, you know I think that that I, I would rather people spend their time learning, um, you know, going into another business field if that is something they wanted to expand in, um, because I feel like once you know one, then you could kind of just you know contrast and compare to to, to take yourself to the next one. Um, what's your take, Patrick? Ooh, this is very, I guess it depends. Um, I mean, a particular business field, it depends on the business field, I guess, right? So if, if there aren't that many particulars in that business field that make it different than every other one, or they're not impactful to the tech stack or the way you build software, then I guess it doesn't matter. But in some, it's probably super relevant. Like if you're going to build safety critical code, right? Like there's a whole, it influences literally every part of building software. Um, and so it does matter, but it depends. Um, and so I think you got to know, you got to have something in mind before you can get a good answer here. But as a young person or new person, let's say, I would say that it probably doesn't the first thing to worry about. Most places are willing to teach if they're willing to hire um, an unexperienced, inexperienced person. If you're looking for a more senior experienced role, then it probably matters more. Um, and yep. you sort of need to break into that industry, right? Um, but yeah, for most people, I think it, there's probably a medium amount of business particulars, but that the job is willing to teach them to you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Rubik's Shoe, which is awesome. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> It's one of those names that you don't understand it until you phonetically I so. got it now, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Rubik Shu asks, um, basically, uh, you know, should you take a, let's say you have a, a nine to five job, maybe it's not in computer science, right? Um, should you take an unpaid internship, um, you know, in, in, uh, in software engineering to try to break into the field. And then sort of the follow-up question is, you know, do you have to sort of quit the day job or could you could you do both? Um, why don't why don't you go, Patrick, since All I, right. I've read two in a row. This is tough. I mean, this I think every it, it's uh you can hear stories saying either way, you know, you can get whatever confirmation bias you want. So you can find people that say you yep. gotta you gotta quit and go all in. And you hear other people say you gotta never put all your eggs in one basket. And I can probably find you, however many you say is the bar, I can probably find you that many examples of either. Um, and so this is, is really hard to know. It's, it's depending on the market conditions, depending on the industry you're trying to go into, depending on what your current job is. Depend 
I think this is one of those, it's, it's very much a case by case. I would say there's no one right way to do it. Um, yeah, I, I agree yeah. with that. I, I don't uh, have much I more. guess, okay, well, one thing I want to add is, is just be careful for scams. Um, um, you know, I think that like, uh, you know, a lot of internships are paid, not every internship, right? Um, if the internship isn't, isn't paid then, or, or if it's, let's say significantly less than what, whatever you're making now, um, um, then, then you have to say like, what value am I going to really, you know, get out of it? Right. Um, so for example, you know, there might not be, if it, if the internship isn't, um, let's say part of some community where, you know, you can get a really good reference and things like that, then there might not be that much difference between, um, an unpaid internship and you just spending some time on the side, maybe some nights and weekends, you know, picking up new skills, right? Uh, on the flip side, uh, there are sort of programs where not only are they unpaid, there are programs where you have to pay, like these boot camp programs, but um, there you have to really look at their track record of placing people into jobs, right? And so it might be, might be worth, uh, you know, you actually paying to, 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 to enroll in something. Um, um, if, if, if the, you know, if the expected value of that is, is high enough, right. And you can look at, um, past graduates and things like that to decide on that. Um, you know, the, the question of, can you do both at the same time? I think it's the biggest thing is just to be transparent. Um, now, you know, if your nine to five job, like, uh, um, if you're just going to work around that, uh, it probably doesn't matter that much. Uh, but, but really with the internship, you know, you want to be transparent and say, look, like I have this other job, um, you, you know, whichever one you're basically joining second, you just want to be trans. Like, and this is true in general, if ever you're going to join a job, but you know, keep an existing job, you just want to be open about that. Um, and, and so you know, whether you should have two jobs or not, uh, it really just depends on the circumstances. But, but the key thing is, is just, just being open and honest with all the, the parties involved. All right. Um, Rubik's Shoe also asked about uh, music, whether they're what we like. Is there some particular artist? Is there something we've liked all the way from being a youth to an adult? Uh, something new we've liked? Uh, I'll go first here. Um, I, you know, I listen to music fairly often, but I don't feel like I'm a music guy compared to other people. I don't really get that much into bands. I listen to all sorts of things. I mean, when I program, I mostly listen to electronic music of various sorts. Um, and then, but like when I'm driving in the car, uh, it's a big mix. The other day I was really into like picking bluegrass music. I don't know why, but I was listening okay. to a lot of like banjos and, you know, like really, really old, um, stuff. I, you know, I, it, it kind of doesn't matter. I'm normally upbeat music person. I don't really like sort of like really slow or dark music. So that's kind of my only theme, but no, there's not been one artist I've listened to you know, for sort of years and years. And, you know, I would, you know, pay lots of money to go to their concert. That's just not my relationship to music. Yeah, my answer is similar. I would say that I'm, I'm it sounds like I'm a lot more into music. I mean, I do like, I go to a bunch of concerts. Um, there, there's some bands I really enjoy, but it's it's nothing specific either. Um, um, I, I, I generally don't listen to music when I'm coding or, or working, but um, uh, but I do listen to a bunch of music in the car. And or I'll have music playing, you know, like uh, when we're just hanging out with the kids and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, everything from you know country to heavy metal to I don't know rap, R and B, everything in between. And uh, um, I generally, you know, I like I like same thing as Patrick said. You know, music that are music that is uh, more high tempo. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of like high energy. You know, get people kind of excited. Um, you know, I like music. That's, that's some of it is just because it's funny. The lyrics are funny. Like, uh, um, you know, like, um, what is the, the people who do the, I'm on a boat, lonely Island or like, you know, these, these sort of like goof, goofy bands, like Tom McDonald, uh, you know, these, these sort of, uh, Adam, Adam Sandler back in the day. So, so yeah, it's kind of a mix of, you know, comedy routines that are musical. Um, and then pretty much every genre across the board. Um, and, but yeah, when I'm working, I generally don't like to listen to, I generally don't listen to music unless it's, it's um, a noisy place and I have headphones on. 
Um, Pyro asks if uh, we could do a virtual meetup. I think that's a decent idea. We might try to, to see that. I think it's going to be busy for the next few weeks for us. But uh, um, yeah, I think a virtual meetup might be, uh, that seems to be very 2020. So it'll probably, first half of 2021, be the same kind of thing. So um, I don't have anything specific planned out, but that's that's not a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, our Christmas episodes are kind of that already. Uh, we just kind of opened the floor. Um, you know, you're here, we're here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I wonder, you know, and even for the Christmas up for, for the for the holiday episode, I, I was wondering, like, um, you know, is there a way to sort of, you know, I know with Zoom, people have done like breakout sessions and basically get everyone talking to each other, and maybe what we'll do, actually, I, I don't know if this is going to end terribly or not, but we could just open the whole the whole room up um, at the end after yeah, we're done recording and just let everyone talk to each other, and I can spend a little bit of time here. Uh, I'll mute myself and we'll, we'll basically invert it. We'll mute ourselves and we'll let everyone in the room get a chance to talk to each other. And then uh, I could just kind of leave it running. And, and so we have to post a on Paul. It's happening. It's happening now. <laughs> it's happening. Yes. Shake your hands. <laughs> so we, got, we got two more questions. So uh, next to last question is, have you ever considered doing a startup versus working at a company? Um, I'll answer first again, cause I'm selfish. Um, you know, <laughs> considering doing a startup. Yeah, I considered it. Uh, I never seriously pursued it myself. Honestly, this gets into a very lengthy discussion, which we probably should have at some time, but I mean, I, I, I get, I'm probably very biased. I think again, to my earlier answer, there's a lot of confirmation bias you can find here. Um, I think there's a lot of startups I would probably never join. Um, and then there's some startups that I think are legitimately doing good work or even doing one myself. I think it's something every, I would say probably almost everyone in the tech field considers at some time, unless they're currently in a startup. How about you, Jason? Yeah, you know, someone explained this to me. So yeah, I'm going to have a similar slant on this as Patrick. And so take us both with a grain of salt. Neither of us have ever worked at a startup, but um, someone explained it to me in a way which I really appreciated. Um, they said that a startup is really good for um, people who have like far exceeded their resume. So, so, you know, because if you go to a big company, they're going to have, you know, a million, you know, automated or, you know, semi, you know, like, like mechanical procedures to, to screen people out. And so, um, and so, you know, if you, if you have a ton of talent, um, but you haven't built that resume yet, um, then a startup is a really good option, right? Because because a startup, you know, there there'll typically be a real person on the other end of that form that you submit your resume to, um, and so th- I think that's a place where it can be really beneficial. Um, in my case, you know, I, I I was fortunate in that you know the area of research that I wanted to do, you know, there were companies that were looking for exactly that that area, and so and so. Um, you know, definitely when I graduated, my resume was probably better than my skills. My my C++ skills were not that great. But I put, I put myself as a 9 out of 10 on C++, <laughs> and I was probably like a 0. 0.5 out of 10. Red flag. Um, yeah. So uh, so that's that was, I think, a really good way of making, you know, the distinction or making the decision simple. Of course, anytime you make a decision simple, you're going to expose a whole bunch of corner cases, right? Um, like, there's always, you know, at one point, all of these big companies were startups. And if you had joined any of them, you would have been extremely lucky. Uh, um, so so take everything with a grain of salt there. But I think that was a very simple way to sort of break it down that, that I thought made a lot of sense to me. Um, oh, the question was, have we thought of starting uh, uh, or, or uh, there's sort of a corollary. Have we ever thought of, of starting a startup uh, or you know, like starting a company? And um, Your boss asked that question. What's that? Your boss was asking because they wanted to know. Your boss is trying to figure out if you're starting. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, this person's my boss. And uh, yeah, I got this email saying HR wants to talk to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think it would be interesting. Um, you know, I, there's sort of this meta question of like um, specialization versus getting really specific. Um, you know, I think that if you work at a startup, you're going, or sorry, specialization versus generalization. So if you work at a startup, you're going to be doing a bunch of things. You're going to be buying machines, probably, for the, for the people on the team, or at least someone's going to be doing that. Um, you're going to be hiring people. You're going to be there's a whole laundry list of things. You're going to be finding out how to pay the Amazon bill, right? The AWS bill. Um, 
And, and so these are things that at a giant company, you know, it's, it's completely opposite. Like you, you're really focused on a few things. <clears throat> and so that's, that's really the, I think, um, sort of the, the, you kind of have to have the answer to that question before you could answer the startup question. And then the final question comes from Dan. What are the plans for the show in 2021? And that's a great segue. And I'll, I'll pivot it into asking you, Jason, what are the plans for the show in 2021? And just in general, what are you thinking about, uh, 2021. Yeah. So, uh, we've already started this, you know, I think we're going to, the show is going to become sort of a bit more professional. Um, I think that, you know, we, we switched to, uh, a new, um, um, you know, recording kind of like uh, studio software. Um, I think we'll probably move the podcast onto, you know, um, one of these podcast platforms instead of what we have now. And, and basically, you know, a lot of the infrastructure that we've set up for the podcast, we set up like a decade ago or something. And so, and so it's, it's, you know, we had an issue a few months back that really kind of made me realize that, you know, we need to spend a little bit of time to modernize. And so, um, you know, I'm going to go through and kind of, kind of do a lot of that. Um, you know, beyond the tech stuff, I, a couple of things I'd like us to do is, is to get back to doing, um, you know, our regular show. Um, we've had some like unbelievable interview opportunities like Peter Voss. Um, we have some people we've, we've already interviewed that we're going to, um, you know, show everyone next month. Um, and so the, the interview opportunities have been just amazing. I mean, I actually, the other day, uh, was searching for, you know, application performance management for something I was trying to do at work. And I came across Matt, Matt Watson, who we interviewed, you know, I came across a blog post from him. And you know, I wasn't even looking for him, you know, specifically. And I wasn't doing the uh, personalized search either. So I mean, this was just a general search. Um, so you know, we've had such amazing opportunities, but because of that, we haven't done the regular show in a while. And I, you know, I am starting to miss that a bit. So um, you know, I don't know if we're going to increase the cadence or if we're going to just have to tell some interviewers, you know, we have to push the schedule out. But that is something that you know I'd like to see us do. And I guess the last thing is I just want to be a bit more um, um, active on social media. You know, I've, I've, tried, I've tried to hesitate to post anything on Twitter other than the show episodes. Um, but one thing I posted yesterday was a shout out to Vercel um, and uh, just some of the amazing software they've built. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to try and do more of that. Um, you know, we have the RSS feed, we have the Patreon feed. And so if people just want to know when a new episode is out, there's plenty of uh, podcast apps will do that. You know, so, so I, I think I could be a little bit more, um, uh, vocal on, on the Twitter feed and just kind of tell people, you know, here's some really cool things to, to check out. Yeah, I guess you kind of covered stuff for the podcast. Um, I mean, in my personal, personal life, I mean, I think, uh, try to stay safe and healthy for 2021. Um, you know, continue more the same. I think, uh, personally, I've been moving more into management and less of programming. So that's been something that's taught me a lot, um, that it wasn't able to rely on, you know, just my previous work as much because, uh, being a technical engineering manager, I guess, everybody has different names for it. Um, you know, is I always knew what I wanted my managers to do. And now I'm on the other side and trying to be what the engineers, you know, need is, uh, something that's a learning opportunity for me. And so I'll probably have a lot more opinions about that kind of stuff, uh, in the future. Uh, and as I do a little bit less programming, a little more, uh, uh people work, but it's something that that's been a fun adventure so far. Yeah, I guess for me personally next year, um, yeah, similar to what Patrick said, you know, I also need to get back on the exercise bandwagon. You know, I think that when I was going into the office, I had a pretty good routine. Um, I, I'm sure this, you know, a lot of people, maybe the majority of people uh, uh, in the country have have sort of the same situation that we do where, um, yeah, I just haven't really, I don't even know if the gyms are open uh, in my state or anything. So, so I, I, I have to figure a lot of that out on the exercise side, but so, yeah, I think 2021 will really be just, uh, I think finding the new normal, like getting back into routines that we had, um, you know, before the pandemic, I think that's going to be a big part of it. And it's not, it's not going to be the way it was right. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be remote for the whole year. So, um, 
Um, but you know, within you know, even within those changes, you're getting back some of those healthy routines. Um, I think also, you know, on the personal side is, uh, I think I want to try and find something to new to build. You know, I think the eternal terminal was, is, is, you know, awesome. Um, you know, I still use it a lot and, um, there's still some, some things I want to build there, but, um, you know, eternal terminal was something I built over the holiday break. And so, you know, as we come to this next holiday break, I'm trying to think what is the next kind of cool thing that I can build that can really, you know, help out developers and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so I think, uh, I think that's, that's it for me. So, um, I just wanted to give a big shout out to um, everyone out there, you know, our patrons who supported us. <clears throat> oh, actually, um, um, yeah, we have to to uh, um, yeah, we have to to uh, definitely acknowledge all the patrons and everyone who who you know has has, has given us so much support over the year. I think that. Um, you know, it's been, it's been amazing watching, you know, the, the podcast just continue to grow. And, uh, you know, I think that I want to thank all the interviewers who, who, you know, have, have really provided such amazing content and commentary in so many different areas. And, uh, thank everyone who everyone out there who's listening, you know, people who listen live, people who subscribe to the podcast, um, especially people who, you know, give us, give us feedback, you know, write us in, tell us new languages you want to see, tell us, um, people we should interview. A lot of the interviews came from someone out there, um, emailing us and saying, Hey, you should talk to this person. So thank you for doing that. And, uh, yeah, overall, everyone have a safe, uh, happy holidays. Music by Eric Barndoller. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide an attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.